0: Um, <clears throat> if you can't tell, I have nice sinus stuff going on, so it makes my voice sound more manly. So, finally, I hit puberty. There we go. We did it. We did it. Thank you. You don't have to clap. <laughs> let's, not, let's not be mean here. <clears throat> uh, today we're going to talk, the, today's title is uh, Demons Know demons know Uh, we're going to lead into mark 5 is where we're going to spend most of the time today but to to get to mark 5 you got to know a little bit about mark 4 and leading into it so you know if you uh, looked at mark 4 you know you got the parable of the sower you have the famous lines if they have ears let them hear you know um there's also the story of the kingdom of god which is the deals with the grains of the mustard seed where the smallest seed Uh, but it grows into this massive tree where birds even land on it and plant. It's like the kingdom of God. And leading up to Mark 5, Jesus is using a lot of parables, And, and that's for a reason. And even in Mark 4, 33 through 34, it says this. It says, With many similar parallels, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So first, you got to know what is a parable? Why is he doing this that leads into Mark 5? What is a parable? Jesus is using a parable to illustrate truth divinely. Truth divinely. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, which this leads to our point number one is the background. You need to know the background so we can fully understand it. One of the reasons that Jesus is using parables was, one, to deal with the unseen realm, the spiritual realm. Satan and evil do not know the ultimate plan of Jesus at that time. If they would have, they would have not killed him. They don't know everything. So parables are used to help on the other side of the unseen realm, the spiritual side. They don't know the ultimate plan. They know at the end they will be ultimately defeated. They just don't know how and when and everything. And so there's the parables on that side. But then you also have parables on the earthly side. And here's a couple parables that deal with the human side. One, Jesus's biblical truth is not what everyone wants to hear. They don't want the deepness, our true relationship with him. Because relationships, especially with a king, cause you to move through life differently than before you were in the relationship <clears throat> let me give you an example when I, I when i lived in florida i i lived there for a couple years i actually made some friends there i know that's shocking i made some friends their names were chris tim and hoff okay they were all unique they were all different javier was a guy that could make anyone laugh like he just knew humor he was the chris farley of the group Okay, Tim, <clears throat> who's seen the show The Office? Okay, you know The Office, Michael Scott, deadpan, like dead, I can't stand it because it's, it, it's too anxious for me. That was Tim, he was deadpan. And Chris, yeah, he was the cool looking guy, he, like some surfer dude. So they, <clears throat> the friendships, they started watching the show, <clears throat> whose line is it anyway? So they loved improv. They wanted to do improv. So what did they do? They decided, hey, let's do an improv show for people. Let's do that together. Let's do an improv, we'll practice, we'll put it on because the the town needs something. I was at the point of being like, I don't know if I really want to do that, but I was in a friendship with them, I was in a relationship with them, so we ended up doing it. It's one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. I have video, but I'm not playing it in front of you. Because I'm saying, yeah, don't boo me. But the relationship affected the way I behaved. The relationship affected. And sometimes when people start dealing with God, they don't want God affecting their relationship. They don't want God affecting the way they live their life. They don't want God to do that. And on the earthly side, when speaking in parables... Biblical truth is not what everyone wants to hear. And you can see that today. Point number two in earthly parables is some hear, but they don't do. An example is 2 Timothy 3.7 says this, Always learning, but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Always learning. One thing that I love to do is I love to cook and cast iron. It's one of the things I like to do. I do cast iron. My wife doesn't love it because the pans are heavy and they take up a lot of space. So usually I I like to keep them out so I can just do whatever. There's one cast iron thing though that I really want to do is pumpkin bread. Pumpkin bread, I want to do so much. I've watched so many videos on it. So many videos on it because my girls love pumpkin bread. They don't like it when it's too hard they love it soft so like i know the right amount to put in know the right stuff to put in with the a pumpkin sugar cinnamon all that I, I i know it i haven't made it yet i haven't done it yet i haven't even bought the pan to put the muffin in it's a cast iron that i want to do it in i've learned a lot i could probably tell a lot of people to do it doesn't mean you do it what in your life have you known how to do something but you might not do it just because you learn it doesn't mean that it's come to the knowledge of truth of completion you can learn just as like the pharisees did but they missed the truth in front of them as well number three just as when the disciples got it with jesus explained the parables once you get some truth you can't go back once they got to a level of truth, they couldn't go back. They wanted to learn more truth and it build up on truth and it built up on truth. If you can uh, take this picture of the stereogram up there. <clears throat> okay. I did not like these growing up because if you look at it, there's an image in there somewhere now. I know it's far away. You might not be able to see it up close. Does anyone see any image? And I'm not lying this time. There's an image there. Does anyone see it? I saw a semi-ha. Uh, uh, Doug. I see multiple images. A woman's face. A woman's face. Uh, that is not what I was told was in there. <coughs> Whales in water. Well, it's supposed to be that of a tricycle. A tricycle image in there. So the thing is, is once you see it, you can't unsee it. The thing is, is none of you can see it. I'm sorry for the the distance. But once you see it, you're then able to see it every time. You can't go back. You can't go back. Sorry that this uh, was a little distorted, but I'm glad that you saw your wife's face in it, Doug. That it's... <clears throat> good man, good. Well, I'm staying out of that one. <clears throat> this leads to the parable at the end of chapter 4. Parables of chapter 4 lead to the testing in chapter 5. They have grown, they've heard parables, they have done it. But chapter 5 is a lot more action. Chapter 5 is when the rubber meets the road in our lives. This leads to the final story in chapter 4, in uh, the beginning of Mark 5. Jesus tells the men, let's go over to the other side. And on the trip over, a huge storm came upon them. These fishermen, who have been in storms before, are greatly afraid. They are so afraid that they wake up Jesus. Jesus gets up and says to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus then said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They, the disciples, were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey them, him. And at this point, even the disciples aren't fully sure of who Jesus is. Now, some might believe that he's the Messiah or the rabbi, but they aren't fully locked in to who Jesus is, which leads us to Mark 5. Uh, if you could put up the map of right here, <clears throat> most people believe Jesus was leaving Capernaum or leaving over up in that area, but he's crossing over. And there's two maps over here. To the garrisons. So he's crossing over to the garrisons. So as you can see, he's, if the other map is up there, I'm sorry. So you can sort of see, most people believe that's where he is heading to. So there's a huge storm there. Most people know that the storms are there. Some people do believe that the garrisons were. Um, down here on the south but that was about 15 miles inland so most people believe because the most of the story happens right when he enters and exits off of there so most people believe that is uh where mark five begins to take place mark four i do believe the storm is not just a normal storm i do believe it's a supernatural storm i believe that this is spiritual warfare beginning jesus is now entering gentile land he's been in israel he's been there and everyone knows that he is the most people would be the messiah for israel most disciples would be like oh yes you're going to save those people jesus is now going to gentile land supernatural spiritual warfare he's coming over and the other side does not want that to happen it's even talked about in Deuteronomy 32. It talks about the most high God over all lesser deities. We talked about earlier where we talked about Adam and Eve, the apple, sin. Then we talked about Noah. Then we talked about the Tower of Babel. And after the Tower of Babel, lesser gods basically took over different territories. And then God chose Abraham. And now... Israel, the Lord, the Messiah, is now walking and going to other spiritual strongholds. And that's what we're going to sort of see here in Mark 5. Let's begin with Mark 5, 1, when he says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones when he saw jesus from a distance he ran and fell on his knees and in front of him he shouted at the top of his voice What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep banks into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off (coughs) and reported in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people of what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in uh, Ducapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. One thing, it is not surprising that the first being to confront Jesus was a demon, a demon man, a demon-possessed man. And unlike the disciples, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows exactly who Jesus is. And this is what he does. He saw Jesus from a distance and he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God referencing Old Testament, referencing, I know your place and I know my place. What are you doing here? Why are you entering my land, my so-called land? Most high God was a definite reference to the Old Testament, and the the readers would have known this, that Jesus is going to restore order to this chaos. If you've also noticed, right before this, what is legion doing to this man in verse 5? In verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and cut himself with stones. Is demons treating this image of God man well? He's destroying the image of God. Because us humans from Genesis 1:27, we are made in the image of God. All of us. We're not, that's why we're not supposed to make idols. Idols are false idols images of God, because God already has it with us. That doesn't mean we're gods or anything like that, but we're made in his image. And what's the demon doing? He's destroying uh, an image bearer. He's making him cut himself. This man, he even knows who he is, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus wants to restore a man from chaos. And we see that all throughout time, from the very beginning, Where the waters were chaotic and the spirit hovers over, God created. He wants to continue to create. The demon even says, in God's name, don't torture me. The demon even prays to Jesus to not start his final ending. He knows that Jesus is in control of the final torture. When everything goes, it is game over. They know how it ends. He's like, don't make it be time yet. And when he falls on his knees, he knows and he shouts, what do you want with me? He knows that his time is limited and he is at the mercy of Jesus. He then tells Jesus, because Jesus asked his name, that his name is Legion, for we are many. Which probably tells me that there are multiple spirits in there. This is probably not a proper name, but it's probably played off of the Roman legion, which we have a couple pictures, <clears throat> which most of the pictures were that of 6,000 men, uh, could, be up to, could be up to also 120 horses, many uh, legion. It was a, a powerful force in the Roman uh, army. As you can see, Some people believe that it was also a scare tactic to try to say, hey, we're, there's a lot of us. Uh, I just believe that there were probably, from scripture, many spirits. But this sort of paints a picture of what um, the demon's trying to do. The main thing right now, though, is you can tell us Legion does not want to kicked out of his being and his region. I find it interesting that he is, he begs. In verse 10, it says he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. It's because that area he knew well, that area he was in part of charge of. He was probably, he could know that area. If he got kicked out, he was maybe in another spiritual battle, kicked out. He did not want to, he knew once he got kicked out. And think about kicked out of not just the area, He chose pigs. He chose pigs. He viewed humans and pigs on the same level. It's another being. It's flesh. It's another thing to fill. It's pigs. And in the Jewish culture, you know that this is Gentile land because you would never see pigs in Israel. They were unclean they were they were unclean gentiles could have it but in jewish culture they couldn't even touch them they couldn't even so you got to imagine think about the disciples at this point the disciples just crossed from a storm over they just got through a storm they hit ground a demon possessed man comes running at them knowing who jesus is without ever meeting and then there's unclean pigs everywhere I would say that they're out of their element. They're in Gentile country. Are we in Gentile country now? Do you look around us? Are there unclean things everywhere? Are there things that are distorting our view? What what our views are? And to this demon, the pigs and humans are viewed the same just as a vessel. As Jesus asked them to go in the pig, which I find amazing, Jesus gives them permission. They have to have permission from Jesus to go to the pigs. Already he is in charge. And Jesus releases the legion to the 2,000 pigs and the herd rushed down the steam bank into the lake and drowned. What a crazy scene that must have been. What a crazy, all of a sudden you see these pigs just running down this hill, drowned. The demons are gone. The unholy pigs are gone from the land, which there's some symbolism in that as well as that God is coming to take the nations back. As well as I believe a huge decision is coming. There are people there attending, watching the sheep see this, and they go tell the town. The town comes out, and then they what, what happens? They see a man that they know is crazy, that they know is demon-possessed. They know he had all these issues because they tried to chain him. They tried to chain him and he broke it off. And now he's sitting there sane, healthy. But they also know that they lost 2,000 pigs. I think a lot of times people come to impasse Jesus is radically gonna change your life. And at this time, the town had a decision to make. Do we want someone to radically change our life? Or would we rather worry about possessions, things? Because when Jesus starts dealing with your life, he's gonna start messing with your possessions. He's gonna start messing with your wealth. He's gonna start messing with different things. And at this point, the people are looked at. So what are they doing? Get out of here. Get out of here. I don't. We don't want you messing with our stuff. We've lost 2,000 pigs. And they forget of what Jesus did to this man's life. They know. That there's no excuse. They've seen it. So Jesus gets back into the boat. And the man wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus does something that he hasn't done. He says... To him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done. Every other time before, Jesus says, be quiet. He says, be quiet. Don't tell people. Be quiet. Now, in Gentile country, he's saying, yeah, you can go tell your people of all the great things. In Jewish territory, Jesus asked these people to be quiet. But in Gentile country... They were amazed, as you can see, because they had known this man and his life changed. We, too, live in Gentile country. It has fallen. Do people know us because of our lives? Do people know us from our lives before Christ or after Christ? This person knew radically when people saw change, they saw the change of his life. He was no longer chained. He was no longer filled, but he was filled with Christ. Chaos had become order, and now his life had affected the people of his town. <clears throat> I probably should start here with my, stop here with my voice, but thank you for continuing on with me. I have two quick, quick stories that end with Mark 5 that I think wrap up Mark 5 to be beautiful. These two stories are, one, Jesus raises a dead girl, and he heals a sick woman. Okay? So you got to play with it. What had just happened, a demon-possessed man comes and bows his knee right at Jesus right when he enters. So now Jesus is heading back to Capernaum. He's heading back to Jewish country. And when he gets there, in verse 21, it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. You see that? He fell at his feet. Jairus had a sick, dying 12-year-old daughter. And Jesus said that he would go with him to heal. And even along that way, on the way to save his daughter, there is a woman... And most of you have heard the story, who's unclean that's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years, blood going, which means unclean. She was probably left out of the city. She was separate, totally different means. And I want to show pictures here. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. The position would be that you would have to bend down to touch the hem of it. So think about the three amazing stories that you heard in just this short little time. Even through my messed up voice, you got to hear of a demon possessed Man bound his knee to Jesus. You saw this rabbi who, then, right after this, this rabbi is told that his daughter's dead. Jesus says, Ah, oh, she's just asleep. And they laugh at him, but he still goes in and heals her, and she's there. But he sees Jesus. He is in a totally different a demon possessed to a rabbi, a Jewish leader, bends his knee. And then a woman that's sick, that is used money with for doctors and probably does not have great means because she's on the outside. She bends her knee to Jesus. What an amazing story that all these people and all of them can come to Jesus. There's no like, hey, you gotta line up here. There's no like, hey, you have to do this to get to Jesus. No, they all came and they all just bent the knee. <clears throat> and that's point number three is so you gotta bend the knee. When you're on your knees to Jesus, you can't be above anyone else. Christians have forgotten this. We forget to bend the knee and we want to force others to bend it. We need to be like the man in Gentile country and tell others of the good news as our knees are bent to Him. When our knees are bent down, people can see Jesus because we're not blocking their view. I think so many times we want to show people how to live, tell people how to live, how to do it. Our knees need to be bent. And when our knees are bent, then they can properly see Jesus for who He is. Not for who John is, not for who Delatia is, not for anything else because they see Jesus in your life because your knee is bent. Your knee is in the proper spot. I don't know where you're at today, but one day everyone will bow their knee. Every knee will bow. That is no It's no joke. It's going to happen. But even as the demons know that there's a God and they shudder, we have a chance to know and to bend the knee and ask for repentance and be with him. We have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. Not just know, but to actually have a relationship. Jesus is in control of the spiritual and the physical world. If you have heard the words and the Holy Spirit is asking you to bend the knee, you need to figure out where you need to bend the knee at. Is it everything you got? Because sometimes people love bending their knee and for certain topics they like. Oh, I can give up this. You know, I I can give up Netflix. I can bend the knee in there so I don't have to watch this, but, but don't ask me to do this. We're asked to bend our knees to God everything this is spiritual warfare and no matter where you're at you might feel in your past that you have a sin that is unforgivable you might feel in your past that you aren't saying the right things or you've done the wrong things or in your past you might say oh that person will never find God you have to realize that the main thing is, is all those people bent the knee you have an opportunity to bend the knee in every aspect of your life and I encourage you to do that in one of the areas that us as a church are we want to help you in all areas that's why we have a next steps area so if you're saying hey I need to bend the knee in this I need to give up alcohol because it's controlling my life or you're saying I need to give up you know the Looking at images on online Or I need to have my attitude change or I need to whatever we want to come alongside Because our knees are bent too And you too can be forgiven and grace is given to all of you wherever you're at We are called to bend our knee And we love you Because our knees are bent as well